The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, we know that clinical trials are extremely important in finding new ways to treat cancer and help patients to live well with their diagnosis. On this episode, we're going to focus on four different and unique stories about participating in clinical trials with four amazing women with firsthand patient experience, as well as discuss tips for finding a trial that's right for you, being your own best advocate. And we're going to discuss how we can overcome common misconceptions about clinical trials. Our first guest today is Mary Claire Biedela. Mary Claire lives in Chicago with her daughter and husband and was a participant in our Frankly Speaking About Cancer Clinical Trials program launched earlier this year. She was diagnosed diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia in 2014 and is now in remission. She's an active volunteer and works with young people and the arts. Welcome to the show, Mary Claire. Thank you so much for having me. I'm also happy to welcome Barbara Bulow to our show. Barbara holds a PhD from NYU and is a retired psychotherapist who still treats families with young adults facing various mental illnesses. Barbara was diagnosed with cancer in 2011 and is currently on an immunotherapy clinical trial. Barbara, we're so happy to have you back. Thank you. Our third guest is Wendy Ferran, who also participated in our Frankly Speaking About Cancer clinical trials program and photo shoot in Chicago. Wendy has a degree in biostatistics from the University of North Carolina and currently lives in Chicago, where she's taking a sabbatical to concentrate on her recovery following breast cancer treatment. Hi, Wendy. Hi. How are you? And finally, I'm happy to welcome back Ide Mills, a longtime CSC advocate and friend. Ide is a certified social worker and health educator with a special interest in improving communication between providers and patients. She was diagnosed with stage four non-small cell lung cancer in February of 2011. Thanks for joining us again, Ide. Glad to be here. Well, you each have uh, a unique story that I think our listeners can understand and some of them can relate to. I want to kick off this first segment by having each of you tell us just briefly a little bit about your cancer experience and most importantly, how you're doing today. I'm going to start with you. As I mentioned in my introduction, you were diagnosed with lung cancer in 2011, have been part of several clinical trials, which you credit with saving your life. Can you tell us about that, Ide? Oh, certainly. So in 2011, when I was diagnosed with lung cancer, 
uh, it was determined I was ALK positive. None of the drugs that uh, are now approved for ALK, being ALK positive or having that mutation were available uh, at that time. So I was uh, initially started on chemotherapy, but it was not long thereafter that one of the first drugs was approved for uh, lung cancer, uh, for ALK-positive lung cancer. And I um, was not on that drug during the trial, but um, two and a half years after being on chemotherapy, my cancer recurred, and I needed to start a new treatment for which I was then eligible to go on that new drug. But I chose, I talked with my doctors, and I chose to go on a clinical trial that included that drug that was newly approved and uh, a trial that was under investigation because I really wanted to get the most out of the drug that was newly approved and right. see if there was anything else to be garnered from another investigational drug. And so I was on that for a short period of time before going on to other trials. I Can you tell our listeners what that means, ALK-positive lung cancer? Oh, um, it is in lung cancer, we have learned, or the doctors have learned, that there is more than one type of lung cancer, this small-cell lung cancer and non-small-cell lung cancer. Within non-small-cell lung cancer, there are various mutations um, where the tissues have a genetic mutation in its, uh, the way they are formed, and mine is... Um, positive for this one type of mutation. There are um, uh, several mutations, uh, mm-hmm. EGFR positive, ROS1 positive, ALK positive, and a few others. They're, mm-hmm. They make up, I think, maybe 40% in total, and mm-hmm. the others are general non-small cell lung cancer without yeah. any mutation. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, more and more, I'd, I think it's important that folks start to ask those questions about, you know, is it possible that I have a genetic mutation? Is there a biomarker test, some other test that could test for that? And perhaps there's a t- clinical trial or a treatment plan that would, uh, you know, that would be better for the patient based on what we know about their uh, about their exactly. genetics. I'm going to, yeah, exactly. exactly. And I'm going to move exactly. on because I think it's a nice segue to you, Barbara. Um, your cancer also developed from a gen- genetic mutation. Can you tell us a little bit more about your diagnosis and, and your treatment on a trial? Sure. My mother had ovarian cancer at age 83. So in 2008, I had genetic testing and was found to be negative. Uh, In 2011, I developed stage 4 ovarian cancer. So this year, my oncologist suggested I again have genetic testing. And things have advanced a lot in those few years. I have a genetic mutation called BRIP1. At this point, there are no specific studies for that genetic mutation. Um, However, it is useful for other kinds of treatments. Um, 
I am now, or I was recently, on immunotherapy trial, not connected to my genetic mutation, but because I had gotten this trial at a research hospital. Unfortunately, I relapsed while still on the immunotherapy. However, now I'm on traditional chemotherapy and am responding more positively and more quickly, maybe because I was on that immunotherapy trial. Interesting, interesting. Um, Wendy, let me turn to you. Um, you have a medical background. You were diagnosed with um, breast cancer. Can you tell us about your diagnosis, your treatment, your own experience? Um, sure. I um, Basically, coming back from taking my daughter to college or picking up my daughter from college, I found a lump in my breast, and it was... Uh, getting big rapidly. Um, so it was important that we try to do things as fast as possible. Uh, when I went and got diagnosed, they they didn't want to really tell me over the phone what it was. And so then I knew from my background that it, it was probably not one of the better outcomes. And in fact, it's, it's called a triple negative uh, breast cancer, which means it's not one of the three more common breast cancers that they know how to treat. And so tell us a little bit more then about uh, about your treatment. Well, basically because I knew it was um, one, of, one of the breast cancers without the really positive outcomes that people expect, yeah. I went out to the Internet and researched and found a clinical trial that I, was, that I thought I would be eligible for. So then when I went in... To talk with the oncologist at Northwestern, I brought up the clinical trial, and I actually became patient number one in it at Northwestern. So I um, wanted to make sure that I had the best possible way, possible outcome I could get, and so I went actively searching for a clinical trial because I thought that helped me the most. So Mary Claire, let me get your story here. Um, you were diagnosed with AML, acute myeloid leukemia, which is uh, fairly rare for someone your age. Can you tell us about how you were diagnosed and what your treatment has been like? Absolutely. So I was diagnosed in 2014. At the time, I was a typical busy mom with a four-year-old burning the candle at both ends um, and thought my symptoms, which consisted of headaches and dizziness, were just stress. Um, I went to urgent care, and a simple blood test revealed that it was AML, I think my doctor was more shocked than I was. Um, Mm. They just couldn't believe it. Uh, It's very rare for someone in their 30s um, uh, to have leukemia, to have AML. It's a much more common cancer for children and for older adults or as a secondary cancer. Um, Within five hours of diagnosis, I was checked into the hospital at University of Chicago and began treatment. So... um, They don't have stages for liquid cancers uh, and blood cancers, so uh, treatment begins immediately. Um, you, you could, they said if I didn't start treatment at that point in time, it probably was a matter of weeks until um, I, I would have no longer been with us. So, uh, so things were rather whirlwind. Everything stopped in my life for a good solid year um, mm-hmm. while I went through induction chemo, uh, inevitably a stem cell transplant, 
And so I had a very routine course of care. Things went wonderfully. Things went beautifully. They gave me all the chemo in the world, it seemed, and a complete stranger gave me his stem cells. So I'm very lucky and happy to be alive. My experience with clinical trials ended up happening once I was in remission. Um, My form of cancer has a very high likelihood of returning. So I was um, part of a, a study uh, to vaccinate myself to use immunotherapy against recurrence. My genetic makeup made me a good candidate for the WT1 study, which is a stage three study for um, folks like myself who are in remission from AML and want to stay that way. So that's my experience. And what is the, just uh, before we get to our first break here, Mary Claire, what is the, uh, what does the study consist of? So I received um, 70 injections, so more than just a shot. When you think of a shot, you think of something that happens rather quickly. These are the biggest shots you could imagine. Um, so it, but, but I had zero side effects beyond a lump in the arm once a week. Um, but it was, you know, it was definitely more time back at the clinic, but it was uh, suggested by my oncologist and um, through our research really found to be a good option um, for me and for folks like myself. That's great. Uh, boy, we have so much to get to here. You guys have four amazing, unique, powerful stories. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're learning more about clinical trials uh, from a patient's perspective. We have four wonderful women uh, on the show today. We've got a lot more to cover. We uh, just had a chance to hear from I, Barbara, Wendy, and Mary Claire uh, about their stories to sort of give us some of that background uh, and some of that foundation. We're going to talk a little bit about our uh, cancer support community, our Frankly Speaking About Cancer Clinical Trials Program, the importance of participation in trials, and really uh, do some myth-busting on the show today and really get to some of the facts here. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. 
Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. Today's show is sponsored in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Novo Cure, and Taiho Oncology. We're talking today with Ide Mills, Wendy Ferran, Mary Claire Biedela, and Barbara Bulow. They each have been part of a cancer clinical trial and are here today to share their firsthand experience on how clinical trials impact patients. Ide, as we begin to talk more uh, about clinical trials in the segment today. Can you, uh, I know you've talked quite a bit on this subject, give our listeners just a brief overview of what a clinical trial is. Um, uh, I know some folks really maybe not listening today, maybe they don't know what a clinical trial is or, or that it's even an option uh, for them to, you know, I want to emphasize why trials are so important and what are some of the common misconceptions I'd regarding participation in clinical trials? Um, sure. Uh, I uh, think that just to start with that last point about a misconception yes. is I think people are afraid that they're not going to get the same care that they would get if they were getting standard therapy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I found to that you get a great deal of attention in care um, and in some cases more care on uh, a clinical trial because Excuse me. You have more eyes watching you, and uh, so I know that when I started the clinical trial of the standard drug that I was taking, remember it was just just uh, approved, but it uh, was uh, this newly approved drug plus an investigational drug. I was taking an oral drug plus an IV therapy, and I had. Um, a nurse manager, in addition of the clinical trial, in addition to my doctor and my IV nurses taking care of me, there was yet another nurse who was watching over the impact of the trial and following up with me with phone calls of Mm -hmm. how I was feeling, um, from my lab reports to personally how I was doing with um, the medication. So it was a great deal of attention, and I think many people are afraid that they're not going to get that attention that they're used to from their cancer um, care team. 
The other thing is I think people are afraid they're going to get a placebo and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a sugar pill. And in fact, the trials are comparing drugs uh, to standard therapy or, um, or um, testing a new drug that is um, a, an actual drug. Nobody is getting a sugar pill they're getting actual therapy. And I think people are afraid of that as well. Um, And I I think another thing that's difficult for people is to potentially change their treatment team. And that does and can happen um, Mm -hmm. if you choose to get your uh, treatment through a trial at another center Mm -hmm. um, or cancer center. But... um, I think that that's something that you need to talk about with your family and with your doctor. And it's a very personal decision and can be the right decision for many people to switch doctors or treatment teams, um, but then potentially, you know, come back to that team depending on where you stand in the trial. Right, right, right. So, Wendy, I think I brings up some um, some great points, and maybe you can help us talk a little bit more about you know really what we're studying in these in these cancer clinical trials, um, and you know what are some of the types of trials you know that are that are out there for uh, for folks with with uh, cancer, folks who have or have had a cancer diagnosis, Wendy. Well, I bring I brings up some very good points. Um, the tests today are against whatever the the standard of treatment. It's no longer uh, no treatment versus a treatment, and that's something everybody needs to be aware of. You're going to get either the state-of-the-art treatment or what they are exploring that they think is going to be a better treatment. So you're actually in a pretty good situation. Um, And it's not just drugs that get tested in clinical trials. They're also testing some things on... um, what are some ways that can help you cope with some of the uh, side effects that you get in cancer or from the cancer treatments? Uh, they've got some um, clinical trials on whether even, say, Fitbit can help you cope with it. Um, they've got some uh, trials have happened which show that yoga is a very good form of exercise for people with um, cancer. Uh, as, because not only does it help you exercise, it helps you mentally de- uh, keep sharper. So, the, so it's not just drugs that get tested. It could be things that are that are helping you cope, or things that could be helpful uh, in a family situation. Yeah, and you know, I I I think that um, I I just want to turn to Mary Claire because Mary Claire, I think you had a little bit of a different experience because we know that um, when someone finds out that they have cancer, that one of the first things they do is that they do as much research as they possibly can. And oftentimes folks have have days, have weeks to gather that information, get a second opinion, make those treatment decisions. You did not have the luxury (laughs) of that time. And that sounds like a kind of a pretty frightening place to be. How did you process that? How did you, did you have to have sort of faith in the team that you had in front of you? Um, You know, what was that like for you? 
Sure. So it really helps to be married to a librarian who's also a researcher. <laughs> so um, my husband's office is one block from where I was stationed in my hospital wow. room for two six-week blocks. And, um, and yeah, so he's an academic librarian, and so we, uh, we live in Hyde Park. We are part of the Chicago community, and um, it was really awesome to be able to get the word out rather quickly and say, um, you know, to my husband and to friends that, you know, we're going through this. We need some help. And uh, a good, a good, someone who became a great friend, who was just a acquaintance at the time, is a... Um, uh, my good friend, who is a pharmacist, but an oncology pharmacist, stepped up and she said, look, I'm going to come and we're going to go through everything and I'll hold your hand through this. Um, and so we really kind of assembled our own team in those early days to figure things out. Um, there were a lot of resources available at University of Chicago as well, um, but I think understanding from day one, you know, what clinical trials are, how research operates, just, you know, my downstairs neighbor runs a lab at the University of Chicago. So I I have a general understanding to begin with of, you know, how this kind of research works and ethically how it works. So I was very open from day one. And I think I did my first clinical trial um, the second day I was in the hospital, like right after I'd been diagnosed. And it was this little perky medical student popped in and she asked me five questions on an iPad about my room and the placement of the bed. (laughs) Something really, Mm. really basic and easy and had to do with the lighting or something. And she didn't want to bother me, but I was just excited to talk to someone who wasn't going to give me bad news um, or give me those big puppy dog, I'm so sorry, eyes. So in some ways, you know, that was a really positive interaction too. Um, Yeah. And, you know, Mary Claire, I just want to say that, you know, obviously I, I and Wendy have started to give us a good overview of, of clinical trials. Some of the misconceptions I know, you know, we talked about one is folks think that there's maybe a placebo in a cancer treatment trial, which there almost never is. Um, another misconception that folks have is that they they believe that you only would participate in a clinical trial if, if everything else has failed and there was nothing else for you, sort of a Hail Mary in that mm-hmm. scenario, which we certainly know is not the case. And we have uh, really encouraged folks to ask about a trial when they are diagnosed with cancer. But your trial was a little bit different as well. Your trial was a trial that started after your treatment ended. Is that right? Absolutely. So after my treatment had ended, after I was off immunosuppression, anti-rejection drugs for my um, stem cell transplant, my, my, what many people call a, call a bone marrow transplant, um, I was approached by my oncologist with actually a, a range of different um, clinical trial options, things that were actively being studied and researched on AML patients who were in remission at the University of Chicago. Um, and she said there, both of them were vaccine-based, were both immunotherapy. Immunotherapy is really big at most research institutions right now. Uh, University of Chicago is certainly in that camp. Um, and this is the WT1 study. And the goal is to teach my immune system to fight any instance of recurrence Um, So I had a series of injections. They were uncomfortable, but it really did, and this is an odd thing to think about, but for me, I wasn't ready to go back to work. I was still unbelievably fatigued and mentally exhausted. I was more comfortable at my doctor's office than I was 
um, going back to work, I needed um, a few months, a few bits of time to kind of slowly get back into the real world. And by being on this clinical trial, by still being monitored very closely, it gave me that comfort and support that I needed to kind of bridge back to normal life. Um, and so it was helpful in that way. And then the hope is that it will be helpful and um, and make sure that I don't relapse. Uh, but but only time will tell that. Absolutely. And 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 Wendy, is there a part of you? Just we're almost at our break here. But a part of you that also thinks like, boy, I'm contributing to the science. I'm I'm you know maybe what I, what maybe my experience and and what is learned from my own experience may actually help or benefit others into the future. Is that something that's crossed your mind? Oh, definitely. Um, I, that's that's really what I was so happy about is finding the study um, and then being a, a early participant in it and watching the good successes that they've had uh, among the people after me. I, I'm hopeful that this drug will be approved by the FDA and then be out mm-hmm. there for everybody to use it on triple negative. And that uh, you know, if if the people before us had not participated in clinical trials, we would know about some of the the great successes that they've had. And I think all the diseases that, that, or all the cancers that the participants today have. Yeah, and I think that that uh, that altruistic piece is also a piece that I've heard a lot of patients talk about. That hopefully it's going to help me, <laughs> but I also hope that it's going to help others into the future. And that's a part of being, you know, contributing to the greater body of science. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about cancer clinical trials and the importance of participation in, in clinical trials. And we're bringing the perspectives of four uh, different women who have participated in trials. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. Today's show is sponsored by Celgene Corporation, EMD Serono, and Takeda Oncology. We learn a lot about cancer and cancer treatment from the patients themselves, and that is especially the case with clinical trials. Here to help us learn more about the importance of participating in clinical trials are four people who themselves have been part of a clinical trial. Barbara Bulow, Mary Claire Biedela, Wendy Ferran, and Ide Mills. Barbara, I want to start the segment with you. Um, what led to your uh, participation in an immunotherapy clinical trial? Tell, just walk us through that as a patient. How, how, how did it come up? How was it explained to you? Did you know that, that a clinical trial would not have a placebo, a cancer treatment trial? Just walk us through that as a, just sort of a, a, a decision-making consumer in that process. As, I'm, as I mentioned, I have ovarian cancer stage four. And for me, like many of the people that also have this, um, that means a chronic illness um, with treatment and then a break and then maybe another treatment. And so I was very excited to be on this immunotherapy clinical trial because of two reasons. One that was just mentioned about it's adding to science, and the second is that perhaps this could be a treatment that would have less side effects than I had experienced and other people experienced with the more traditional treatments. Even though it did not help me at the time, I do, uh, I'm very glad that I was part of it because it does benefit other people. And as I mentioned, it may help the treatment that I'm getting now, which is more conventional. And, and how was it, how was it raised with you? How was it brought to your attention? How was it explained to you? Um, you know, really from a very sort of nuts and bolts uh, uh, perspective. My oncologist referred me to Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital. I went there last summer. They didn't have a study for me. Um, and then when I completed uh, some treatment, again, we contacted them, and they thought they had a, a study for me. Um, so... I was in remission at that time, and there was an immunotherapy trial that I should have been eligible for, but unfortunately, before I started, I had relapsed, and so I was put on the trial I was on. I was also the number one (laughs) guinea pig, I should say, Uh, but it was explained to me in a thorough way. They were very closely monitoring me, and it was a combination of an immunotherapy drug that has been helpful with other kinds of cancers and a vaccine that hadn't been tried before. So I felt very comfortable being part of this study. Being part of the study, Uh uh-huh. And Wendy, how about you? How how, uh, was the topic of clinical trials raised with you, um, with your healthcare team? What was that conversation like? What were your questions, concerns? What was the decision-making process for you? Well, I... I feel very fortunate that here in Chicago we've got some great um, advanced clinical trial teams that are working with cancer. So it wasn't a hard conversation to have. I was very open to having a clinical trial and actually brought it up with my oncologist, who I think was pleasantly surprised. And and usually what I do is I try to talk with them as as just a, a regular person with these and not bring it up not bring up my background, um, and, and in that way, um, they, they're, not, they're not trying to, they're, they're thinking of it in a more normal way. This is a potential person. They could benefit from this trial. 
I think everybody needs to be their best advocate and not try to sit back and hope someone else comes up with things for themselves. Um, if you can, uh, do, do a little bit of research. Find out a little bit about what could be uh, trials in your area and, and, and be proactive. Step out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd, uh, I know that... Um I've heard you say, you know, to audiences that you feel that a clinical trial really saved your life. Um, What are the conversations that you have with other patients who are thinking about a trial, looking at a trial, or maybe raise some of the concerns or or myths or things that we've discussed? What's the conversation that you have with them? Well, well, I think... Usually when I work on something like this um, is I'm talking to them about where are they in their cancer journey. You know, for some people, there are clinical trials that, that you need to do immediately. You, you're, you're not supposed to have had any other treatments. And other, others, they will allow you to, to do them after you've concluded other treatments or if you've gotten remission or, an, or a new uh, diagnosis. But I, I remind people that not only are you getting, you could be getting um, something new and better, you know, the new and, and improved cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. You are definitely getting a good treatment, and you're getting lots of people looking at your test results, lots of extra eyes. You're getting um, a lot of TLC, uh, as other people on the panel have mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you're getting the chance at some tests that you maybe you wouldn't have had otherwise. A lot mm-hmm. of people are concerned about the extra cost that, can, uh, that every family experiences with a cancer diagnosis. And at least on my trial, they picked up all the co-pays. So that really relieved a lot of the cost for me. And my social worker found a grant that I could apply for that actually paid for my parking and transportation costs, which when you're going in on a daily basis, can really add Mm -hmm. up. So so there are other benefits being in a clinical trial other than just getting one of the best possible treatments that you could get. Right, right, right. And I, uh, Mills, I know you have a background, particularly in social work and 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 uh, and health education. I know you're an advocate. I know you talk a lot about your own participation in clinical trials. Uh, tell me about your interaction with with patients, consumers who are thinking about participating in a trial, and and really what that discussion is like. Uh, I try to tell my peers um, really to think about what their goals are and what their needs are and to bring that up with their uh, doctors and nurses and or social workers to, in, in some cases, with those people to practice when talking to the doctors. In fact, they're nervous about that. But to really just think about what's their goal of therapy, what's their need to get their therapy, and, and also to consider what are their expectations so that they can be honest with their doctor um, what what they're looking for. And for some people, travel is beyond their thought. And so traveling for a, a, uh, a clinical trial is more than they can endure. But for somebody else, they'll do all the travel they need. I mean, I've met so many people that have traveled far. Um, you know, when I'm at... You know, my academic treatment center, I'm meeting people from all around the country. 
and I myself traveled to um, to be assessed for a clinical trial. I didn't end up going on it, but I ended up traveling far to go to a trial that wasn't available at my center. And so I think people need to think about that when they're looking at trials or their doctor is considering one for them uh, or they're thinking, is this right for, for them? Um, as somebody else on the call said, um, depending on where they are in their journey. I mean, I think the other thing to, to really make clear is that a clinical trial is not just when you're, uh, you know, at the end of the road with your treatment yes. or you've heard that there's nothing else to do. Um, as you mentioned, it's, it's not just a, a Hail Mary. It may be, but it's not just that. I mean, I, I went on it my first trial two and a half years ago, now or three years ago at this point. So um, that's important. But I think, as somebody just brought up, it's really important to ask questions like, what are, going to, what are the costs that are going to be incurred if mm-hmm. I go on this trial? And you need to think about the out-of-pocket expenses as well. And I was, I was fortunate that one of the physicians in Boston um, had said to me, if you go on this trial, we have um, housing support and travel support if you should need it. And she made that available to me right up front. And I don't think people are first mm-hmm. to ask that. And mm-hmm. they, they need to know it's okay to ask it. They should ask it. If they don't use it, they don't use it. But you need to know what's available to you. What's available and ask all those questions. Great advice. That's great advice. Um, Mary Claire, uh, as we're getting up to our, our um our next break for you. Obviously, we're talking about the importance of participating in trials, asking if there might be a trial that's right for you that you qualify for. Um, but uh, as someone who was diagnosed as a young adult, can you talk about why it's particularly important for adolescents and young adults to consider being part of a clinical trial? Absolutely. That's a great question. It's so important because so few young people participate in trials. And because of that, our five-year survival rates have gone down since 1980. Only 9% of AYAs participate in these trials. And that's people from um, an AYA is someone who is 18 to 40, 18 to 39, depending upon which clinic you're looking at. And you know what? I fully understand why. People want to get on with their lives. People want to go back to their children, to college, to whatever is that is uh, beckoning them from the other side of that IV pole. Um, but this is really important, and it's an, there's an ethical and a moral cost to not participating in these trials. And so my hope is that more individuals will strongly consider this empowering experience of participating in a trial and hopefully really changing those numbers. Yeah, and I would probably just add quickly, Mary Claire, that, um, you know, probably one of the reasons also for low participation on the part of adolescents and young adults is that the greatest risk factor for cancer is age, that it is unusual to be diagnosed with cancer in your 20s or your 30s. And so that would certainly, you know, reduce the pool of, of potential participants in a clinical trial. Sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, just from a, a pure statistical standpoint, I think sometimes folks forget that the greatest risk factor for cancer is age. Um, uh, so, you know, that would certainly uh, decrease participation. But I think you've made some very strong points about why it's important to participate. Uh, we've got more to cover here, folks. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a very quick break, but don't go away. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Today's show has been sponsored in part by Lilly Oncology and Insight Corporation. We're closing out our show on clinical trials from the patient's perspective with Wendy Ferran, Ide Mills, Barbara Bulow, and Mary Claire Biedela. Um, Ide, I want to start our last segment by focusing on the future for a moment. This summer, you and I both had the immense honor of being part of Vice President Joe Biden's Moonshot Summit um, in in Washington, D.C., really this idea that we want to really advance the innovation, 10 years of progress in five years' time. Um, as you know, I'd, our view on this is it's not going to happen without the patient, and it's not going to happen without patients participating in clinical trials. Just give us a moment of your observations on that Moonshot Summit and this initiative, I'd. Oh, the Moonshot Summit was, it was an honor to be there and to be amidst a room full of hundreds of very smart, dedicated, passionate people who wanted to make a difference for uh, the world of cancer and, and help people. And uh, I was just so moved by that whole day. It's, um, it, it was heartwarming. And I was energized by the activities going on and the, the interest of people to break down walls that were causing barriers for moving forward a trial. 
um, for getting approvals. People were willing to um, do various different innovative activities with each other or each other's groups and programs and um, organizations. It's, I think, really going to help make a difference and is we're working towards making a difference in clinical trials. That's it's, right. And, and it's really, really very impressive. And all four of you are a part of that through your own participation. Um, as we get to the end of the show, I just want to ask um, each of you any advice or tips that you have for our listeners if they're wondering about a trial, thinking about a trial, and any other thoughts or resources, uh, websites you might guide them to, resources that you can recommend uh, for our listeners who still may have some uncertainty um, about clinical trials. Let me start with you, Mary Claire, your own tips or advice for our listeners today. Absolutely. Um, I have found some really great resources um, from within BMT InfoNet, and so that's specific to folks with liquid cancers, and, um, and there's a lot of access through their website as well as their yearly conference um, that is specifically for patients and getting that information out there and getting access. I also really wholeheartedly recommend um, the mentoring programs that many different organizations have put together now and connecting yourself to someone who's been in your shoes but is maybe a year or two out. Immerman Angels is the organization that I'm part of and I do mentoring with, but there are lots of other organizations out there too, and there's some great, great opportunities to learn more. Terrific. Great, great advice. Wendy, how about you? Thoughts for our listeners? Well, I want to echo what Mary Claire has said. I uh, use some of the online uh, mentoring services like Emerson's Angels, and then there's a special Facebook group that we have for our particular form of breast cancer. Um, There are many resources out there, and Google is your friend for when you're trying to figure out what, you know, where where you can get extra information, and uh, the Internet is fluid. There's new sites, new things popping up all the time, but you do want to be careful that they're legitimate sites and not just um, because, again, on the Internet, anybody can be anything they want to be. And so I try to concentrate with sites that I know are legitimate, like um, the Mayo Clinic's website, the FDA's website, and others um, as ways of getting more information about things. And don't be afraid of clinical trials. They can really help you. You get that increased monitoring, and, and you really get the, the new wave of thinking, whatever is the current wave of thinking that they have as the best way of treating your cancer. So I would highly encourage clinical trials for everyone to at least consider. Great. Terrific. Barbara, how about you? Well, I think everybody who has cancer now can be excited about all the advances in the field, and clinical trials is a big part of that with new drugs and so on. Um, Personally, I have found going on the Inspire website has been helpful, and there is a, a website I just discovered called Cancer Commons where you can write up your own cancer journey and they will suggest various clinical trials. Interesting. Great. Great. Ide, what thoughts do you have for our listeners today? Uh, I would say that if they have not reviewed your Frankly series on clinical trials, they really need to look at that material. It's so well done and so clear. And uh, 
I think that if you have, uh, you could go to some of the specific advocacy organizations about uh, a clinical trial for your type of cancer. So I would go to something from one of the lung cancer um, organizations and get some more information there. Terrific, yes, and I know a lot of those diagnosis-specific groups are tracking trials and and, uh, and listing trials, and so that's certainly a good way to go. And I think, you know, I... Um uh, you know, I, I just uh, encourage folks also to keep keep their eyes open for the uh, uh, for the news that is coming out of advances with the Moonshot Initiative. I know the government, you know, NCI, FDA are looking for ways to improve information on clinical trials. They're, they're trying to make it easier for folks to search for trials and access trials. And, and uh, I also think it's important to note, and I think you guys are a great example of that, that a clinical trial today in cancer may, may not just be related to your specific specific diagnosis of cancer, lung cancer or breast cancer or ovarian cancer, but the trial may actually be specific to a particular genetic mutation uh, that you may have or results of a biomarker test. And and I think as the, the science and the technology does advance, that trials will be organized perhaps as much by genetic predisposition as by cancer type um, uh, in, in the future. So to be also understanding uh, with your, with your uh, particular type of cancer, should I be getting genetic tests, are there particular biomarker tests that I should be asking for, and really understanding the specifics of that, um, uh, I think, are critical. Uh, we're coming to the end of our show. Uh, I was kind enough to mention and was a speaker uh, at the launch of our new program called Frankly Speaking About Cancer Clinical Trials. This is a new patient education program. We actually brought together 20 organizations from across the country to be our partner in the development and launch of this. We did a lot of research with patients. So this is a this is a program of patients, by patients, for patients. Um you can find the information on our website at cancersupportcommunity.org slash clinical trials. There are several educational pieces there. And again, it's all evidence-based, all developed with the very high scientific rigor, but it is developed in a way that is intended for patients and for caregivers. And so please visit our site, uh, cancersupportcommunity.org slash clinical trials for that information, or you can call and we can mail those materials to you. You can also call and talk to our our, uh, our helpline, talk to one of our counselors right now. You can call the phone number. It's 888-793-9355. We have support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction at 46 locations around the country. We have a lot of information online. And again, that helpline number, call and uh, chat with one of our counselors is 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five, and that's cancersupportcommunity.org. I uh, appreciate our amazing panel today. I appreciate you joining us to share your uh, very powerful stories. Uh, I think it was a great learning opportunity on this important topic uh, of clinical trials. And again, if you check out our website, all of that, frankly speaking, about cancer clinical trials is on the site. So check it out. It's free and it's uh, available to you today. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo from the Cancer Support Community. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.